Hey, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we're Asian Bitches Down Under coming to you live from hot, sweaty, humid Sydney, where it's a top of 130 degrees Celsius. It's so hot, you're still making jack potato. Yeah, I know. I can't help it. I've got heaps of potatoes I need to eat. Yeah. Maybe our listeners can give us some potato recipes. I mean, because we don't yeah. eat a lot of potatoes as Asians. I don't think there's a lot of Asian dishes. Okay, so the reason why I bought, you know, um, my go-to when it comes to a, sort of making sure that I acquire a substantial degree of vegetable intake in mm-hmm. my diet, even though I live with a vegan, so I do mostly eat vegetables, mm-hmm. uh, is to, you know, when you go into the shop, they have prepackaged uh, more ripe or almost overused over their pass by date, use by date um, vegetables or fruits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I always go to use, I go to buy them because uh, they're so much cheaper. Yeah, they're cheaper. Yeah, they're so much cheaper. Exactly. And often they're just perfect, to be honest. So I got like um, at the local IGA this week, I got a bunch of um, nectarines and apples because I need more fruit intake. I have a problem with eating more fruit, I think. But there was a bag of potatoes and uh, I decided to buy potatoes for a recipe which we were making. And the recipe uh, is from a book that I got, uh, that I saw from a magazine, um, which I got from the library. And it was uh, a book of vegan Chinese dishes. And I just want to be, oh, here it is, I found it. So it's called Vegan Chinese Food and it's by Yang Liu. Mm -hmm. It's published by Hardy Grand Books. uh, And so we made spring onion potato pancakes. So it's like Tong Yobing, right? But, but we but we used actual potatoes. Potatoes instead of yeah. So potatoes. I'll show. So like oh, this. Okay. So it looks so delicious. Yeah, it looks yummy. And it yeah. and it was very delicious. It was very very delicious. But we have a lot of potatoes left over yes. <laughs> because I bought like two kilos. Mm. So so yeah. What are your favorite potato dishes when it comes to just Chinese? I guess. Oh, I don't think there's any Chinese potato dishes. I'm Why not- is that? Do Chinese people not eat potatoes? I don't like. Firstly, I don't think potatoes originated from Asia. I think it's yeah, like I think they Northern, South America. Yeah, and then um, we grew up eating a lot of rice and maybe noodles. Potatoes always not a very yeah not like carb that we carb yeah exactly. It's not a carb that Asians are a lot except for maybe fries and chips. You know when we eat takeout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I quite like the. Um, you know the, the side, little side dishes that we get from the Korean Korean restaurants that have this like marinated in like sweet soy sauce. It is divine. Oh, yeah, my daughter loves that as well. She can just that is the best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so good. It's like honeyed cubes of sweet potato. Yeah, that's but, what it tastes like. It is. Yeah, and then you have a sprinkle. Some restaurants have a sprinkle of sesame. That's quite oh nice. yum. Yeah, yum. Maybe, you can, maybe you can look up that because I can you can keep that for a couple of days, I think. Because like another another potato recipe I love is um Helen and my mum and our mum, uh the potato and egg mayonnaise. Uh the salad. apple salad. Yeah. That is like yeah, the best family ever. <laughs> yeah. Is that, who who invented that? I don't know. Mum just came up with having apples in it and sometimes cucumber. Oh my god, amazing. With apples, it does add a bit of like sweetness. Yeah. Crunchiness. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it adds a bit of texture. Which and is egg. Nice. We need egg. That's right. Yeah. It's okay. Been- so, Helen and I have had a pretty nice week in terms of 
seeing each other and also consuming cultural stuff. Helen, kick us off with uh, what we want to talk about today. Oh, yeah. So um, last week we mentioned a Chinese movie that was screening at the queer queer screen uh, in Sydney. I think I believe it's the 31st queer screen festival uh, in conjunction with Mardi Gras this year and, and the Taiwan Film Festival. Yeah, the Taiwan Film Festival. And the film is called Who Will Stop the Rain? And the Chinese name, the original title is Chin Chun Bimbu Wen Rou, which you what does that mean? Um, youth is ungentle, ungentle youth. Like That's a way better title. Is it, you think? I reckon. <laughs> does it sound like it's not really grammatically correct? Uh, like, but who cares? Name. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like the Chinese original title better. Chinese <laughs> original title is beautiful. Yeah, it's so it's beautiful. It's ly- I mean, it's, it's very not- lyrical. Yeah. It's very lyrical. But speaking of lyrical, you know, who will stop the rain is pretty much based on. Yes, the director has said that she taken out from a '60s band, which is called Creedence, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yeah, it's an American band which um, they wrote this song. It's particularly for anti-war purpose, I think. Mm, mm. Uh, Which Helen so lovelyly, excellently explained when she was an interpreter for the uh, director during the Q&A after the movie. Yeah. Well done, Helen. It was quite interesting because I saw most of the audience are still Asians. Did you notice that? I mean, the ones who... Yeah, yeah. It was a great turnout, I have to yeah. say. It was at Hoyt's George Street. Fantastic turnout for uh, awesome people, obviously, because queers are awesome. Uh, and yeah, I'd say um, I wasn't because I was sitting in the back row. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, and then then I went to the bathroom right after the credits finished, or during the credits roll, because I was busting. So I don't know what the percentage racially the uh, audience were, but yeah, there were a few Asians. Yeah, and um, this is one thing that I didn't mention to the director after the screening was that. It is so important to bring Chinese speaking or Mandarin speaking movies that's made in Taiwan, which we have uh, Taiwanese have a more uh, liberty to make mm. to Western countries or somewhere that's outside of Asia, because you're, you, you'll meet a lot of Asians who back at the home, they don't necessarily have this chance to watch queer movies, like if they're queer yeah. themselves. Like, yeah. Is, you know the, the the restrictions back in their own country, say like China or maybe Indonesia, they're not that acceptable of the queer community. Mm. And um, having that, it's, it's such a great opportunity for them to watch this because I did um, see a couple of girls and ladies afterwards came up to the director and say that, oh, thank you so much to make this movie. You know, it's it's so liberating. It's so nice to see this kind of work because. I didn't ever thought about seeing female queer movies like they're yeah. young kids and they haven't really experienced. I mean, they probably experienced, you know, not being accepted back at home. So it's a really good thing for them too. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. Um, so the movie basically is uh, uh, ba- the movie itself. The storyline is about two young women who meet at this um, sort of student rally student joint strike that happens uh that was and it was based on a real story that happened in the 1994 in taiwan in taipei uh so uh these two female students they fall in love gradually um 
during a strike, basically what happened, it's it's not, it's it doesn't, I don't know the complexities of the true story, but mm-hmm. it seems um, the story in the movie, presented in the movie was quite straightforward. Basically, these art students, visual art students in a university at Taiwan were getting really shitty marks when they didn't do exactly, when they didn't paint the kind of things that their professors wanted them to paint. Mm-hmm. So basically, they were being artistic Nazis, kind of. Uh, and so the students were like, we're not having creative freedom. We need to rebel and make the chairman step down. Um, and then it's just about the the weeks of um, tr- trying to fight for their freedom of artistic expression. Mm-hmm. Anything to add there, Hel? Yeah, um, so the, the university that took stage of this event was actually our dad's university. So Are you serious? Yeah, the Chinese Culture University. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, up on near Yangmingshan, you know, the mountain, well, yeah, mountainous area of Taipei. Well, our, our dad uh, did not study arts, sadly, <laughs> although he's a great artist. I, um, I believe he will be a fantastic artist. Yeah, but because of his era that he was he was forced to do engineering. Yeah, he was he was forced. Yeah. Yep. yep. Still today. He was a victim of the uh oppressive of the oppressive system. <laughs> that required a man to study something that was uh uh that would uh that would lead to gainful employment. He didn't even do engineering. Oh, I know he didn't end up becoming an engineer. <laughs> ended up resenting everything related to engineering <laughs> yeah um so like just to say that it is about a social movement student activism and the demand of artistic freedom so what actually ignited this um student movement i can't remember whether or not that the director mentioned at the q a was that a student was unfairly being expelled um mm-hmm. he didn't meet the standard and all the, the students around him, you know, rallied up to speak for him and trying to help him to graduate. And I don't know if anyone noticed, um, did you notice that there's only one student that was speaking Chinese? Yes, one- I did. I did notice that because you know why. And I liked that character, by the way. Uh-huh. I noticed that because I wanted every, because when he first started saying Tai, I was like, I want more of this. Yes. And then nobody else did. But go on. It's very sad. But because, you know, it's the early 90s, it's just a, a couple of years after martial art was, sorry, martial law was. Martial law and martial arts, I yeah, often get mixed up. <laughs> um, so it was a couple of years, uh, martial law was lifted. So still there was like a uh, restriction of speaking Chinese freely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Areas. Yeah. But that particular student, he just went on and speaking Chinese to kind of identify himself that he's, oh. you know, very localized. And he's, Can I just say, I, I love that. Yeah. But what you, a little bit, I think it was a little bit depressive for me because yeah. none of other students would communicate. Yeah. Oh, they understand what he was saying. Yeah, but they wouldn't they, respond. They, they yeah. wouldn't respond to him in Chinese. They were still speaking, you know, uh, Mandarin. Yeah. colonialism uh, violence and language that's right yeah so the students were questioning the authority like who has the right to decide what um the art what's uh, good art what's not what good, good art, art what is art exactly. for and should we continue to start i think one part one aspect the students was trying to 
forced upon the professors was that shouldn't we be starting to look into the Taiwanese art history rather than just yeah students look about at the Western them. canon yeah yeah and I think your 10 minutes is up do you want to go and check on your potatoes oh thanks you're the best okay Helen reminded me that I need to put these in there Awesome. For 20 minutes, no way. 20 minutes! Jack potato. Okay, I'll just put my alarm on. Okay, hell, thanks, I'm back. Yeah. Yeah, so the, there was only one student that was speaking Chinese. That was like both good and bad, I guess. And the director herself, she's, she's actually from Kaohsiung, so she's a southerner. She speaks Chinese as well. Oh, okay. I guess because of the period of the time that there were not a lot of students that were speaking Chinese, mm -hmm. like majority that was there were two students that were living up at uh, Taipei area, which is you know colonized by the mainlanders, and mm -hmm. I guess uh, a large proportion of them were still speaking um, Mandarin as their main. Uh, main language yeah is there is there a are there different parts of taiwan where more more people spoke taiwanese yeah uh central and south oh right yeah because i didn't know that i did not oh, know that because okay. because um when mum when when we went to see my mum and my nephew luke's uh and helen's son went to see invisible nation a few days after uh sorry the following day after we yeah. watched this movie and she bumped into benson benson's the uh organizer festival yeah, organizer mom. of taiwanese <laughs> film festival and he she my mum and benson were talking and my mum asked benson if he can speak taiwanese and he started speaking a little bit and she said oh are you from the south and i didn't know that was a southern thing hmm, it is. i thought it was just a, a more indigenous thing oh well indigenous they have their own like again right yeah 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 yeah. yeah. So, so why is that? Why is there more people who speak Taiwanese in southern Taiwan than the north? The capital, Taipei, you know, which means it's relatively more modern, more modern has been more modernized. Yeah. You know, it's a co cosmopolitan area, therefore, that a um, lot more government officials were uh, was established up in Taipei. So mm -hmm. they had, the, you know, the KMT. The ones that came from China, obviously. Right, right. Spoke. They had more of an impact there, yeah. Yeah, in a language manipulation for the society. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So this uh, movie was directed by Su Yi Shen. Su Yi Shen. Su Yi Shen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the aesthetics of like the fashion, the music, in throughout the movie? Yeah, I really loved the, uh, so there were two characters. Okay, so there were two characters. Mm -hmm. uh, they were called Chi, Chi Wei and Ching. Chi Wei and Wei Ching. Wei Ching. Mm -hmm. Wei Ching, yeah, yeah. So Wei Ching is, uh, Wei Ching is. Uh, A woman that's more, it looks a bit more non-binary. Yeah, um, and she's in a relationship with the head, the kind of leader of the student movement. And Wei Ching is like, when you first see her, you're like, yeah, she's like kind of like the Angelina Jolie in this girl interrupted situation. She's kind of like morbid, depressed, 
you know, she, uh, she, her fing- uh, her wrists are scarred with previous self harm, mm. and um, Chi Wei is uh, our innocent sort of like uh, hasn't really done anything with women. Is in a, doesn't have a boyfriend. Is like very innocent. She's the she's the one who joins the student movement as an outsider, and uh, and has falls in love with Wei Qing, and uh, Wei Qing is played by Ye Xiaofei. That's right. Who is like a huge star in? Is it is she Taiwanese? Yeah, she's Taiwanese. Okay, yeah, and she's got a really hot androgynous look. Yeah, super, yeah. super, like just stunning, <laughs> absolutely stunning. Like, oh my god! Movie, yeah. Uh, yeah, after the movie, Helen, I was just like Helen. Oh my god, who is this woman? She just looks like a. I'm trying to think of a Hollywood equivalent. It's like uh-huh. a woman who's got really androgynous, hot. Oh, kind of like Kristen Stewart. I feel oh, like she's yeah, got Kristen yeah, yeah. Stewart vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a queer. Yeah, who's also queer? Yeah. And then um, Chi Wei is played by Li, Li Ling Wei, mm-hmm. who um, doesn't have such a high profile. I think her Instagram following was a couple of thousand compared to Ye Xiaofei's 35,000. Mm-hmm. So huge discrepancy there. But um, Li, Li, Li Ling Wei is, uh, is like got a more innocent, girly, feminine face. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I really liked looking at her the innocent girl, um, her fashion. Her fashion was uh, really cutesy. Uh, I, I like the scene in one one scene in the beginning of the movie where she's drawing in an art class and her tutor, who's a jerk, uh, criticizes her painting and says, and then starts criticizing her uh, hair. He says something like, uh, look at your hair, it's a mess. And he was like, her hair was just fine. Trying, yeah, it it just wasn't, it, it didn't have a fringe and it wasn't short. That's it. And I think like back in the day in Taiwan, every single anything. every single yeah, female student had to have the same cute little bob haircut, uh-huh. which symbolized your sort of purity or your neatness, basically. And and Chi Wei, Chi Ching Chi Wei has like just like kind of Western hair, I guess. Yeah. She's a little bit more wild, but nothing wrong with that, I think. Oh, it was I was so it's normal really to me. I thought that was so funny when I saw that scene. <laughs> Yeah, but it just shows how different uh, uh, the standards were 30 years ago. Yeah. Only yeah, 30 yeah. years ago. It was only 30 years ago. But I like how the director um, created these two characters, two female characters, even though that the appearance are uh, in the contrast and their personalities are in such a huge contrast as well, where Wei Qing, even though that she looks cool and she's very defensive all the time, but she doesn't know what she wants. She yeah, that was guided by her yeah. previous boyfriend, you know. Yeah, to, and we should also say she, her dad is a hotshot politician, so she's the daughter of a like an influential uh, party member, powerful man, powerful man. Yeah. So she carries she carries a lot of burdens, and you know she's been oppressed, and we can see that throughout the movie. She's like Jesse said that she's morbid. She's um doesn't really have a direction for herself but um whereas Chi Wei um even though that she looks innocent but she's more outspoken about what yeah she wants. She's I love that there's a couple of yep. scenes where she goes into the um, head of department's um office and demanding 
the answer of why she got lower grade or she didn't got passed for her painting and she didn't think was yeah. wrong. Like yeah. I thought that was really courageous. I even now I don't think I will be able to. Yeah, do that. no, I would never do that. Yeah, and I'm too afraid. The department, the head department, yeah. is a man. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> so I thought that was a great contrast where the director have created these two characters. Yeah, and a hopeful ending as well. Yeah, is... the hopeful ending, which is really, really lovely. I think um, during the Q and A, the director. Um, Sui Jen also said that initially she was going to make a tragic ending, but then yeah, well, we all know that where that leads. Yeah, but, yeah, and also yeah. yeah when but, I was watching the movie, I kept thinking, when is she gonna top uh, herself? Yeah, because it's just I so think like that's like the logic most people will assume. But yeah. um, the director Sui Jen, she had reflected um, on the modern society, especially when 2019, that the same-sex marriage bill was passed in Taiwan. She said she had a, you know, kind of revolution and saying, thinking that, oh, I shouldn't be making tragic conclusions for lesbian. Like they shouldn't be, we should be more hopeful. That's yeah. The ending. I yeah. love that. I love that. What a great decision by on her. Yeah, I know. It's so sweet cool. at the, at the end. I love that scene at the end. Hi there. If you're new to our show, thanks for tuning in into our program and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. It has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. Please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue to advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So I went from this movie on Saturday to on Sunday watching a documentary uh, made by Vanessa Hope. Helen had seen this same documentary a week before. It is called Invisible Nation. Uh, it is. It was marketed as a documentary about Taiwan, and I would say that it wasn't really about her. It was more about the uh, Taiwan's uh, contemporary war against China, mm-hmm. or China's war against chi- Taiwan in the last few decades, or at least since martial law was lifted in '87, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and it was about 80 minutes, 85. So short doco, excellent, excellent, um, excellent sort of introduction into, into the nuances or a base, a really sort of solid review of what's been going on. Yeah. Uh, uh, and what China has been doing to Taiwan in the last few decades. I remember going home and just writing my diary. And one of the lines I wrote was the, upon reflection was that, uh, it was a really good introduction to anyone who didn't know. Is not familiar. This yeah, is not familiar with the politics of what has been going on in Taiwan. And and I'm ashamed to say, I mean, I don't know the every single in and out of of what's going on. 
or what has been going on. So, um, so I found this documentary immensely useful mm-hmm. and uh, also immensely emotional. We'll, yeah. get, we'll, we'll touch on that later. But first of all, what, how did you find it? Anything else you wanted to add about the documentary? Um, I went to see it with my husband the week before you guys. And when I stepped out, because as a political science student in the past, I thought it was a really good propaganda <laughs> documentary. It's a positive propaganda documentary. Yeah, especially made, not by Chinese themselves, was made by an American uh, documentary. A white woman. Yeah, director. And it's, it's really showing the importance that the time Taiwan needs to be seen on a global scale and the importance of allies because you know Taiwan has been losing a lot of allies uh, diplomatic um, connections in the past few years um, kind of just trying to strengthen their own ability to connect with other nations and through this kind of method to get general public to be more aware that the importance of Taiwan in the global scale because uh, I think they showed uh, Throughout the documentary, there was parts about COVID where Taiwan was, you know, it had such a, almost a gold standard when COVID first started, uh, low death rate. Um, it was, there were, the lockdown went very quickly and compared to a lot of countries that Taiwan didn't had such uh, um, a bad, bad experience during the pandemic, but it was still locked out of the World Health Organization. And it really captivated a lot of Taiwanese people's desire of liberty. You know, you, you, throughout the documentary, there was a lot of politicians and public figures talking about why it is important to have a democratic country like Taiwan in the geopolitical position that they have. Um, it's, you know, Taiwan is pretty much the center, center of Asia. Yeah, and if they if that position is lost to say like communism, you know, it, it does place a threat to the Western democracy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm seeing it more from a political field. But what about you? What do you think about the documentary uh, and its impact? Yeah. Well, I, for me, as a Taiwanese Australian, as an immigrant to from Taiwan, I found it immensely emotional. Uh, I there were there were at least four or five parts during the film, during the docker where I was uh, shedding a lot of tears mm, because because um, especially when Tai Nguyen was speaking, mm. there's just something at the core of who I am that is so aligned with the conflict, with the oppress oppressive the oppression that Taiwan has faced from China. There's something about me and who I am as a person that is aligned with that. Mm-hmm. This idea that um, I, I think it's maybe it's to do with my femaleness and my being a woman. Yeah. I feel like in this situation, Taiwan is the woman who wants just to be free and mm-hmm. recognized. And China is like patriarchy. Taiwan is the man in this situation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every day, I mean, I, you and I, we go on this podcast, we talk about all the ways that it, all the ways in which it is difficult and impossible to be a adult woman and live a feel, fulfilled and happy, satisfied, 
mm-hmm. respectful life, respected life. And I feel like all of those messy emotions correlate to kind of overall what Taiwan has experienced since uh, that Taiwan has been subject to mm. from from China. And this is the first time I've actually made that comparison, no. I guess, because where, you know, you've asked me to explicitly explain it, but it does feel like that. It does feel like um, I like Taiwan and my country. I identify so strongly with its fight for independence. Uh, I you know? do think is already independent. It's already an independent country. It's yeah, just- I, of course we are. Oh, yeah, but it, it, it it's fight against the oppressive regime that is China. Yeah, yeah. And 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 then likewise, I guess if we're continuing with that metaphor, uh, patriarchy is oppressive towards women. Yeah, and manipulative, and you know, just um, the sheer kind of the, the suppression that the invisible things that patriarchy has already laid out for women it's very similar to what Taiwan is experiencing or has experienced in the past decades as well it's just uh, different propagandas you know China talking to other countries and try to cut off the diplomacy between Taiwan and other you know it's it's political Mm. obviously you know they're trying Mm. to take away what Taiwan have built and sabotage on the things that Taiwan has done as well. Mm. Yeah. Um I do remember that uh the, the session that I went to, the first session that I went to, it was full house. I don't know about the one at Runweek. Uh what? it was packed. Oh, it was, I don't know if it was full right. house. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was full house, but it was packed, yeah. It was full house at uh the one at Newtown. And it, the what was the uh racial divide? Um I would say maybe 70, 30, 70 Asian faces and 30. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before we went to the session, we had a drink at the, the Italian restaurant just like attached to the Newtown uh, Dendy? Yeah, the Dandy Cinema. And there was a group of guys who were sitting next to us at the same table because there wasn't any tables available. And they were going to see that um, the same film we were going to see as well, the documentary. And mm-hmm. how did you know? Um, half of them's they all they're queer men, and half of them's Asian face, and half of them <laughs> were white. And mm-hmm. they were talking about uh, the experience in Taiwan. I think the white men were like teachers in Taiwan, and they said right. much Chinese left learn, and it's so nice to see documentaries like this to really promote in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And I think the visibility of Taiwan in the in, in the display of the whole world, I think still because Taiwan have such a openness about queer culture and the acceptance of queer community. I feel like a lot more queer community in the white sphere would would be more familiar with Taiwan. Mm. I think because, like you said, it's when you're in a position that you feel a bit more oppressed, you know, with your identity, and then you 
have a bit more sympathy and compassion for the one who might have the similar um, feelings. Yeah, so that's mm, like, mm. really nice. Yeah. What else? I think yeah, although it's not a very long, isn't a very long documentary, but I think they touched yeah. on and they interview several fi- public figures, politicians. That Tang Wen. I I I know that Helen's favorite scene would have been when uh, Tang Wen was uh, playing with her dogs and oh. feeding them. <laughs> their labs. She's got like a couple of labs. But it wasn't a long scene, unfortunately. But I did think when I saw it, I was like, Helen, it must be jizzing in her. What well, must have been jizzing in her seat with joy. Yeah. Um, which else, uh, which else figure that made impression for you or you remember throughout the documentary? That's a good question. I like that spokesperson in the beginning, the pretty young Asian who then became a uh, counselor. Oh, you know, she spoke okay. about, yeah. The, yeah, the film opens with her saying she wasn't really interested in politics as okay. a young person. And then and then one day she heard the speech by President Clinton, Bill Clinton in the 90s saying, or maybe in the 80s saying something towards like Taiwan not being an independent country. And then that was when she, her interest in the whole political sphere mm-hmm. peaked. And uh, yeah, she was very articulate and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gonna, you you keep talking while I fix my potato. <laughs> yeah, and I think Go that on. there were uh, a couple of other public figures that I saw that um, they have really pay attention to showing throughout the documentary. For example, Chen Ju, where she walked the camera crew through the. Um, oh, that was a very emotional. Was yeah, the emotional. prisoner. She was a political prisoner back in the early 50s where um, she was trying to establish the, fir- the first oppositional party against uh, KMT, but then she was um, prosecuted for like, I don't know, inflicting, what do you call that kind of behavior? Like, well, well, what did she do? Well, um, I think she was prosecutor of inflicting um, social harmony or something like that. Like, it was a word that I can't remember right now. Causing a disruption to community? Yeah, something something like that. that. Yeah. 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 And she showed, you know, the cameraman where she, which um, cell that she was. Cell she was, yeah, yeah. I think that that was insane. Like a museum or something like that. Yeah, yeah. This... And then the white terror, yeah. My mom said afterwards that she cried uh, one part. One, She said she cried in a couple of parts, but one part she cried, it was um, not just that, but also when Freddie Lim was talking, the legislator who's also in a heavy metal band, and he was reflecting on how when he was a child he was made to not speak Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. Like we said before, they were oppressed. Their language was oppressed. She said that she got very emotional then because she also... She said when she was growing up, it was similar. She was also told, you know, Taiwanese people, Taiwanese people who speak Taiwanese are bogans, so, basically. Uh, lower, yeah, lower, class lower class society. citizens. Yeah. yeah, and her parents were also suppressed their language. You know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, very much. I know that after the film, I spoke to your son as well, and he also really found the scene with the woman in the prison, very uh, prison museum, very poignant. 
Mm, yeah, I think that made a lot of impact that when you're really seeing the history that still exists as a visual item in front of you, mm, mm. That you know that it, it exists, you know, you, it's a part that you shouldn't be erased. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, anything else that you want to talk about this week? No. Um, well, um, that's the wrap up of our two films that Helen and I wanted to talk about today. Uh, but I wanted to say uh, the cultural catch up. We usually do this at the beginning of the show, but I wanted to recommend and also just rave about the Netflix show One Day, which I'm sure everyone has listened, uh, everyone has heard about and also or watched. A uh, phenomenal uh, fourteen part series. Uh, they're under half an hour each episode, so that is, you know, for me a big winner. Uh, I was binged the first six episodes a few weeks, maybe a week ago. Uh, it's very, very watchable. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the the woman who plays uh, Emma Morley uh, and Beaker Mod is sensational. You can also catch her in this is this is going to hurt which is, I think, playing on ABC streaming, where she stars opposite Ben Whisper uh, in a British comedy about being a doctor or a nurse uh, or something. Yeah. I, I have, have you seen it? Uh, I have seen maybe one episode or two episodes. Oh, okay. So she's uh, in there. Um, I don't remember, remember her, but I know that it's based on like a satirical book of the medical system or something. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. I have to look it up, but yeah, yeah. I really like Ben, the, the actor. Ben, yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, so, uh, and and the book, uh, One Day's Leading Man is uh, Leo Woodall, who's the hot nephew from White Lotus season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning, uh, the, the, they're a weird match, but uh, it works, trust me, it works, and you just have to keep watching after the first yeah. episodes. Um, I thought it was it really, really, really touched something in me. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It was quite profound for me to see uh, a woman of color in this leading romantic role and her relationship through the next twenty years with this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have conflicting feelings about it because I loved the story. It's based on a book by Nick, uh, David Nichols. It was a movie. A maybe 15 years ago, starring Jim Sturgis and Anne Hathaway. I watched that movie. It was great. Uh, I, I, I love this series more. I think the series is superior to the movie mm-hmm. uh, because it allows for the intricacies of each day. I should mention the premise of this series, like the book, is that uh, these two young people meet at Edinburgh. They're graduating. Uh, they end up not... For, sleeping together, although there's romantic tension between them, but they decide to stay friends. And for the next 20 years, they meet on the same day every single year. Mm. And so um, the narrative long form of the series on Netflix allows for that one day every year to, to kind of uh, flourish much better than it, than two hours can allow in a feature film. Yeah. So You have to take breaks. If you... Yeah, yeah. I took maybe I think I watched the whole fourteen part series in three sittings, okay. three or four sittings. So it's definitely manageable in that way. Uh, I think the thing that I loved most about this movie, uh, this series, besides from Ambika Mod, the leading actress, is the music. 
So it starts in 1988 and goes all the way to 2000. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah you you just the music exactly for the right period of time. Yeah. You get all the biggest smash hits of the time in that era. Mm-hmm. It's great. I'm I'm sure I'll go out and get the soundtrack. Uh, so fast, like maybe fantastic. Spotify. Someone in Spotify has already made the. Oh, I'm sure there's already a soundtrack. Yeah, oh, for the series, but yeah, uh, is, yeah. but it's brilliant, and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. If okay. you eventually do watch it, of course. Okay. Um, okay, so that's it from us this week. The humidity in Sydney is very high, and good luck to anyone who is going to see Taylor Swift this weekend. Oh my God! Can <laughs> we? I'm, just, I'm staying away from it all. Um, okay. Um, so remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and give us a five star rating. If you'd like to support what we do here at Asian Beaches Down Under, head to Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week, and we'll chat to you next time. Ciao. I mean, chat to you. Ciao. 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 Ciao.